0: You're listening to Trek FM.
1: Voyager can no longer sustain its crew. I promised myself that I would never give this order, that I would never break up this family. But asking you to stay would be asking you to die
2: hi and welcome to women at warp join us as our crew of four women star trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise my name's jara and thanks for joining us today today we have with us our crew member grace
1: hey everybody miss
2: me yes we definitely missed you um especially when we were talking about jj verse last week because we definitely needed a bit of levity um And we also have with us a very special guest, uh, Charlene Schmidt. You have probably heard of her from (laughs) To The Journey, the Trek FM podcast about Star Trek Voyager. That's
0: right. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here on Women at Warp. I feel the estrogen love. It's fantastic. Yes, it is fantastic.
2: Um, I also am wearing your show's Lizard Babies t-shirt as we speak.
0: Oh, hell Yeah. Right on. Thank you. That's fantastic. <laughs> All right. You made my day. Yes. <laughs> That's right, baby. Remember the kids. Never forget. <laughs> um, I so,
1: Janeway's a deadbeat mom.
2: Yeah. And Do Paris mean, is a deadbeat dad. <laughs> yeah. They should have a club with Wharf.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just ironically ignoring my children's club.
0: Oh, yes. the truth comes out right away. I love it. <laughs> they have soft <laughs> football yes. games
1: against Ben Sisko, who is just an entire team unto himself because he's an awesome dad.
0: He is. <laughs> yes. He's so good. He
1: wouldn't have abandoned his lizard babies. He would have brought them all no. taught them how to play baseball.
0: That's right. Yes.
1: <laughs> I may or may not have actually seen fan art of that the other day,
0: and it has just stuck with me so much. No way. Wait. That, I- yes. what, that exists? Yeah, I'll see. You. Wait, <gasps> fan art of Ben, Sisko,
2: and Lizard Babies? Yes.
0: Link, please. What? I, will link. I need this I in will my link. life. No oh, alright. This is such a good day already. Bless you, yes.
1: toddler.
2: Bless you. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> All right, well uh, we are going to talk about an iconic moment in Star Trek Voyager not threshold so everyone can breathe a sigh of relief um, <laughs> we are going to talk about the two-part episode year of hell today um, before we get started just super quick housekeeping wanted to remind you about our patreon at patreon.com women at warp it's a way that you can support us outreaching into the fan community and upgrading our equipment and hosting our website um, so if you would like to support Show, you can feel free to hop on over to patreon.com/slash women at work. So, on to the year of hell, which is right near the beginning of season four of Star Trek Voyager. Um, would anyone like to? Shar, would you like to give a synopsis?
0: Uh, for the record, I'm not incredibly good at these, but I will try.
2: So, okay, we can we can all try and do our own if or like fill it. <laughs> we'll all fill in
0: the gaps. Okay, we'll have like this streaming narrative. I like it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So essentially, Year of Hell is a it's a time travel episode where there is this villain Anorax, who is trying to wipe out entire civilizations to not only restore his people's uh oh I don't know their their prosperity, their place in the universe uh, at the top, but also, of course, uh, to restore his wife, whom he, uh, as we find out very late in the episode, the two-parter, that is, uh, that he wiped her out as a result of all these very precise time calculations he's been making, just can't quite get her back. And meanwhile, Voyager gets caught up in this whole mess and uh, becomes an enemy of the Krenim, and thus Year of Hell happens because it just seems like things keep going from bad to worse for them the ship and the crew they are uh very they're definitely not in a good place in this episode if you ever want to see <laughs> what uh, chronic damage can do to both human beings and a ship over the long term this is the episode for you because that's what happens and it brings out all the feels as we were talking about uh just before we started the hitting record
2: yeah um i guess i'll add a couple sort of key points um the the first part ends with janeway ordering the evacuation of the crew except for the senior staff um she spends a lot of the first part um determined not to break up the crew but then decides that you know to order you to stay would be ordering you to die and so that she orders them to abandon ship and to take their escape pods home and uh Along the way, Chakotay and Paris also get abducted by the Krenim. So there's a bit of a, a B-plot there, particularly in the second part. And then at the uh, we'll talk about the ending a little bit later, because that's uh, definitely, I think, one of the areas that divides fans of this, uh, <laughs> Star Trek fans most about this episode. All right. Very close to the beginning of this episode, uh, the... Crew unveils the new astrometrics lab, which obviously becomes a fairly significant set. What did
0: you guys think of the set and its function in the story? Well, it was kind of funny because after years and years of watching Apple reveal keynotes and all that, I almost (laughs) felt like Harry in Seven might as well have been Steve Jobs and Tim Cook presenting the newest uh, element that's going to be important on Voyager because that's what it felt like well, to me already
1: wearing this neck.
0: right so they're halfway there and I was just waiting for and then one more thing and it didn't happen and I was kind of disappointed I mean I'm kind of jaded by my <laughs> 21st century experience now <laughs> didn't have that back when this aired in 1997 uh, 8 I forget now but uh <laughs> this time around I just thought man it looks it feels like an Apple reveal it totally did what did you guys think
1: Now I'm not going to be able to unsee it next time I watch it.
2: (laughs) Sorry. Um, The and another thing kind of comes from the doctor in that scene where he's just like wants to give the world's longest speech. Oh,
1: that's perfect. And it's kind of
2: adorable. Yeah.
1: The doctor realized he's not in this episode enough. (laughs) (laughs) He he got a look at the script and was like, "Mm, time to
0: improv. Yeah, he needed to get his quotient of lines per episode. Yeah. One of the things
2: I actually really like about this episode is that it feels like every single character gets a good scene. Um there's a part where like Bellana and Harry are stuck in a turbo lift doing trivia with each other. Yeah. She
1: keeps going, Next question, this one's stupid.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> Which I've definitely done before.
2: <laughs> yeah, and Kim Me is like too. obviously a trivia genius because he's has to be perfect at everything.
1: And that is the only time you'll hear the words hairy and genius in the same sentence.
0: (laughs) Probably, yeah. (laughs) He's the savant of trivia and nothing else. That's all he's got.
1: He puts the idiot in idiot savant.
0: Yeah. Although, you know what? Give the guys a little bit of credit. He did help design the astrometrics lab, which, I'm sorry for an ensign, that's pretty darn good.
1: It's true. He just has these weird moments of greatness.
0: Right. If only he could do that with women. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I quite like
2: astrometrics. I think it adds something. I'm not entirely, you know, I was trying to envision what the rest of the series would have been like without astrometrics. And it does feel like in order to look at the same things, it might have felt a bit cramped or forced to always do it on the bridge. So... I thought that it, it was cool, and clearly the effects um, still look pretty good today, so that's cool.
1: Yeah, and it's definitely cool to see them mix things up a little bit to give them a new location, and, you know, well, pretty much another set to work with is always nice.
0: Yeah, it does serve yeah. a very important function.
1: Especially in this two-parter, where we have a really limited amount of sets that we see on Voyager, because apparently it costs a lot of money to make your sets look damaged.
0: <laughs> Imagine that, right? But it does, yeah, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think the very important reason why they brought astrometrics into the fold was so that Seven of Nine kind of had her own thing, her own little station. Mm-hmm. And that way she's not either stuck on the bridge or in her cove in the cargo bay. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, I don't know, I always thought that astrometrics was very uniquely Seven, even though Harry did help develop it. That became hers as time went on. Mm-hmm.
1: That was really Harry's actual mission, have something to keep Seven of them.
0: think so (laughs) (laughs) so he wouldn't stare
1: at her on the bench
2: yeah no he would have wanted her close (laughs) judging from later in the series Uh, yeah I know uh, it creeps me out too but (laughs) I say
0: again uh. well I think Um, you know it was all for the best because of that mishap it just would have been really uncomfortable from that point forward yeah absolutely
2: um so um maybe another thing about seven then before we we move on to janeway but um one thing that i thought was kind of cool about this episode was um so tuvok and seven at one point are exploring the warhead that is uh stuck in the side of the hull and um trying to get a reading off of it so that they can perfect their temporal shielding um this is a warhead that kes uh, foresaw in her time jumps in Before and After. Um, and uh, Tuvok ends up becoming blind and Seven ends up sort of becoming his I guess like personal aid um, as see well as doing drone. her own job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you guys think about that?
1: It is interesting uh, to see Seven in this point in her development uh, have to be depended on in, well Tuvok wouldn't say an emotional capacity but let's face it, it kind of is someone needs her and she has to be there for him. And it's interesting to see Seven kind of forced into that position of taking care of someone, which we can see later on with uh, the little board But That's not until, like, what, season seven?
0: Mm, six. This is
1: kind of an it- six. This is kind of an interesting foreshadowing of that, of being like, okay. Seven does have a caring side, and she is going to
0: try. Yeah, this was the first time we really saw a bit of nurturance coming from Seven. And this early on, I found it interesting that I have always interpreted this as uh, her feeling kind of personally responsible mm-hmm. for taking care of Tuvok. Because she was the one who delayed him, and then as a result, he's the one who suffered the consequences. And so she took it upon herself to make sure that he was being taken care of as a result. Almost not quite as a way of redemption, but I don't know, I I'm, I can't quite think of the right word just yet, but it was interesting to see her take that on. I think because she felt like it was her fault and uh, she owed him.
2: Yeah, I think that's true. Um, I also really liked about it though, there's a couple of points where Tuvok is sort of giving Seven advice as they spend time together. And I thought it was nice to see that relationship and It would have been cool to see it more because you know we get to see seven interact with basically everyone else on the crew and basically everyone other than tuvok is trying to get her to be more emotional and more quote-unquote human um and uh she uh at one point like she's complaining about her messy roommate and tuvok is really empathizing over how scattered humans can be
1: humans am i right
2: (laughs) yeah but it was kind of nice to see her her have someone that was kind of empathizing with where she was at as a like relatively recently ex-borg um and was yeah i guess like you know validating her experiences and that was kind of cool yeah, it's interesting
1: to see two logic-driven characters interact who are both just
2: coming from completely different directions. That's a really good point. And how it still point. makes you have feels like it was really touching, even though these are both like characters yes. that don't have really strong over
0: emotions.
1: Well, gee, for people without feelings, you sure are bringing them on hard. <laughs>
0: Indeed. You know what? That's such a good point these two. We really should have seen a lot more of them because yeah, they are coming from different places of logic and to see that intertwine really was interesting. Why didn't we get more of that? You think they would have been drawn together being a little more based in logic than the humans? Mm-hmm.
1: Let's we'll chalk another one up on the wasted potential chart.
0: Unfortunately, yeah. yes. Getting
1: pretty crowded up there.
0: That's why I we mean, have fanfic.
2: Did- and I mean, this obviously, we're not doing an episode on Seven right now. But um, I feel like Seven had some of the least wasted potential of almost all the characters. So I'm still going to yeah. feel pretty grateful for that. She got yes. to explore a lot of relationships with a lot of different people. Um, but I just thought this was cool to see this snapshot of her with being uh, close with Tubok. Totally. I
1: really hope that when they got back to Earth, they like moved to Denver and got an apartment together and got up to wacky shenanigans. I I want to see that show (laughs) Like we could call them the logical
2: couple (laughs) (laughs) What would they do?
1: They would just go out to public and roll their eyes at That
0: would be the entire show They're like sitting, oh my gosh I can see this They're sitting in a cafe in Lodo And they got a drink in their hands Just watching and Humans right? They're so illogical What in the world? How did they even Get close to developing warp drive? This is ridiculous
1: but instead of a laugh track, it's just them going uh.
2: <laughs> And then Tuvok would be like, let me remind you that you are yourself human. And she'd be like, don't remind me.
0: Right. Yeah, But I'm better than that. <laughs> yes. And Icheb would be like their Don knots. He'd just
1: show up sometimes like, hey everybody! <laughs>
0: <laughs> Only Icheb is not nearly that enthusiastic. He'd be like, hey.
1: He's trying to be, but failing completely at it, and that's what makes it great. There you He'd be go, like, yeah. He just, mm-hmm. like, walks in, he's like, Hello, friends! <laughs> I am here! <laughs> I am wearing a comical sweater!
0: That's supposed to be funny!
2: I think he would be, like, Morose Kramer. <laughs>
0: he would just, like... <laughs> <laughs> now that would be good, too! Maybe even better. Morose <laughs> <For> Kramer... <laughs> <laughs> oh it's, okay well we could spend the rest of the episode just developing yes. this fantastic series uh, i honestly think yeah. we had to table it though for another one because i think it would definitely fit an entire episode unto itself
2: yes perhaps a supplementary at some point all right well back to year of hell i want to spend a chunk of time talking about janeway but i Maybe before that, um, let's talk about Anorax and the scenes on the Krenim ship. So what, um, how do you feel about Anorax as a villain? Let's start with Grace.
1: Well, everybody loves Kurt Smith as a villain, especially a Star Trek villain. I think he's got a punch card at this point.
0: He should if he doesn't.
1: And I actually really like this one because I think he really just shines as a bad guy in general considering his Star Trek appearances and, like, Robocop and that 70s show he just is a really good antagonist.
0: Yeah, I think the performance is fantastic. However, Anorax is a character, yeah, you really want to hate his guts because what he's doing is for completely selfish reasons, things that he caused, by the way. And so I don't have much sympathy for him, and of course I want him to go down. I want him to die instantly. And uh, we... uh, See, Paris and Chakotay, once they kind of become prisoners, I mean, they're not really prisoners on the ship, but they're captive, but they have a lot of free reign, so I don't know what the heck they really are. But They're
1: quote-unquote honored guests in the Bond villain sense. Ah, yes, <laughs> okay,
0: that's, yeah, that's more true to it. Uh, I found it interesting how Chakotay... Like, they diff- they work different angles, right? Chakotay is kind of trying to work with Anoraks because Chakotay is always the diplomat, and I think gets blinded mm-hmm. uh, by this whole thing, by working so closely with them. He has maybe a little bit of Stockholm Syndrome going on. <laughs> and then Tom, of course, is working his own angle of just getting the insider information by befriending other people on the ship. And I found that interesting, and, and yet... Uh, I was kind of just ready to get on with it. I don't know how you guys felt. How did you feel about the B-plot in general?
2: I liked uh, that it gave Chakotay something interesting to do, even though I was like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. It's questionable,
1: but it's something
2: for him. Well, he had an actual opinion about things and it and like in a, a reason to have conflict with Paris. So even though he was trying to find a diplomatic solution with Anorax, he was kind of seduced by his reasoning and that caused him to, in some cases, he was kind of choosing Anorax over Paris. Like he basically threw threatened he's like that's an order and paris is like yeah what are you gonna do to me seriously
0: yeah (laughs) and
2: um i i think even though you don't have empathy for anoraks i think that kind of like kai win you can understand where he's coming from or khan um i think he has the hallmarks of a really a classic developed Trek villain where um you know it, it is this one incident about his wife um but it's more than that he has you know the table full of items from all the uh, civilizations they've destroyed so he also rationalizes it it as well I'm I'm creating this museum to all of these uh civilizations that I wiped out of existence and I'm gonna
1: eat this museum and then someday open a diner and <laughs> and I will specialize in the
2: cuisine. <laughs> yes.
1: People are just dying to get
2: arrested. Totally. Hey, hey. Um, I feel like his, um, I guess, first officer, um, who doesn't really agree with him, he felt kind of a little weak. Um, I'm not sure whether that was like the writing or the casting, but um, in, I don't know. It was just kind of like they needed someone there who the only thing you know about him is he's kind of tired of this mission.
1: Right. They needed a butt guy
2: he just goes but sir no. <laughs> yeah exactly or i like to call a but sir yes that is a
0: great yes, term it is well you needed somebody to to move the story along you really did need somebody to interject and i don't know disagree with anoraks and just blatantly defy him after a while and i guess they'd been doing this for what 200 something years that's a long time to be putting up with this you know what mm-hmm and you know what? If I had to be with Anorax, that's 200 years of putting up with this insufferable dude. No, Mm-mm. no, I think I would have snapped. Really, you
1: had to put your foot down
0: once? Yeah, exactly. It would have happened a lot sooner if you ask me. But hey, uh, he apparently has a lot more patience than I do.
2: Yeah, agreed. I think at the beginning, they tried to show that Anorax was um, sort of a charismatic leader, that he had had a lot of success persuading people with his rhetoric and just per power of personality. I think that was implied, uh, but uh, whether or not you buy that, that would have worked for 200 years. I don't know.
0: (laughs) Well, apparently it did, but then I think, you know, they did a nice job of illustrating the fine art of all these calculations that it takes to very uh, cleanly, eradicate an entire species and just totally screw with time and civilizations and all that. It's very precise art, and I think they did a nice job of displaying his prowess in how much care he put into it. And um, I think in that way, maybe somebody would see that as like, okay, you're, you're trying to do this in the best way you possibly can. You're not doing it uh, in, in a completely foolish way. You're not just going to go out there and make it happen. You're going to take your time and really determine all the variables that are at work here as much as you can because he learned obviously that he wasn't so great at it to start uh but i don't know as a viewer that didn't do a whole lot for me in terms of liking him and understanding his cause no no (laughs) <laughs> but I mean, th- that is that is there. Despite all that, blah, blah, blah. It, it is there. For now, let's move
2: on to Janeway, because this is obviously uh, this when we did our episode on Janeway, this was one that a lot of listeners wrote in and said this was among their favorite episodes. Um, it really gives a chance for her to showcase her different leadership styles her dedication to her ship and her crew. Um, Let's start with Charlene. What do you feel um, about how this episode portrayed uh, Janeway?
0: I love the way this episode portrays Janeway. I feel like if you haven't really been persuaded by uh, Janeway as a captain before this episode, this one will show you what she's really made of. And uh, she's got at the core of it the best interests of her crew at heart at all times, under extremely grueling circumstances. And even under, uh, what do they call it? It's the stress syndrome. Even though she's been acting on instinct for so long and she's gotten into the habit of simply doing what is absolutely acutely needed right in that moment without being able to even consider other options, she's still got them at the very heart of it all. And I think that is such a good quality of a starship captain to have, you know, that nothing else is more important to her than that. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's start with that, I guess, because there's so much we need to talk about here. Oh, for sure.
2: Um, I totally agree with you. I love this episode. And um, there's so many times where Janeway really puts herself on the line, um, puts uh, her crew's needs before her own. Like there's a time where she literally runs into, I think, engineering to put out a fire and ends up like massively burned. Yeah, yeah. She's
1: literally putting out fires. In
2: yeah, it's, like, very hands-on, and uh, she, you know, starts out at the beginning of this episode where the Krenim are just kind of these, they start out kind of puny, um, or they're, like, semi-menacing, but then Anorex makes a calculation that totally takes away their power i'd done that just before and uh, uh they threaten Jane Wayne's like get out of our space and she's like well no offense but unless you have something more powerful in your torpedo tubes we're gonna keep going um so <laughs> you
1: gotta love any minute where you can see your captain go show me what you got I'm yeah impressed. definitely yes
2: um so she really refuses to be intimidated even though the situation is very very intimidating and there's like there's a big chunk of time um, between the time when Chakotay initially uh, um, suggests to her that they break up the crew because they'll be harder to target in smaller groups. And uh, she says, you know, we can't do that. This Our strength is by being together and being a family and that that is what is holding us together, even though there's like no morale left, but without each other as a family, we would not survive this. So then it's a very, very difficult situation when she ends up needing to face the facts that they're all going to die if they stay on Voyager.
1: Which is their is the equivalent of having to sell the old farm. we we'll give it up the homestead, kids.
2: <laughs> that is a heartbreaking moment. Brown's gone sour. Yeah. I think some people question that because they don't think they think that you know, how would the people have survived in their little puny escape pods? But I think part of that is we just don't know enough about the capacity of the escape pods. And um, I I don't think that's really so much the point. It's just like, literally, at this point, there are no good choices.
0: Exactly. Yeah, it's survival. And what is the best way to survive or in this moment? And right at that point,
1: sometimes it's picking yeah. the best of a bunch of
0: Right, which is the lesser of two evils. Voyager at that point was not able to, or Voyager was not able to sustain everybody at that point, and so th- that's how I uh, see her changing her mind. Because I think some people, oh, Janeway, you say one thing and then you do another. Well it's a situation by situation breakdown. Mm -hmm. Like literally breaking down. (laughs) The ship is slowly being destroyed. Yeah, like there's a plan A. Sometimes plan A doesn't
2: work and you go to plan B. That's not inconsistency.
0: (laughs) I know, I know. I wish people would take that into account, but yeah, but people really do like to criticize Janeway, just speaking generally, about going back on her decisions. And it's a shame because all the captains do that at some point. It's called making the best decision at the time. Yeah. Definitely. For more on that, you can tune into our Coffee Black episode about Janeway,
2: where we basically deconstruct critiques of Janeway for an hour. Um, but I think yes, very nice. I kind of agree. <laughs> it's a
1: fun hour, let me tell you.
2: Uh, I agree with you, though, that, you know, this episode is one of her finest moments. Um, it, you know, I think... Uh, mean So the doctor diagnoses her with what he calls traumatic stress syndrome. So I guess they were trying to say That's what it was. it's what you get before you get PTSD. It's while you're still in the trauma. And he says this is making you. It's
1: when you're actively being traumatized. Yeah.
2: And that, you know, it's making you lose sleep and you're making irrational decisions.
1: Which are both just syndromes of not having access to coffee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. was her one flaw, I guess. She was just like, okay, I can't function without the
2: friggin' coffee. You guys. She can't I function best on uh, Neelix's, what does he call it, elixir
0: of determination. Oh, right, <laughs> which is even worse than his better than coffee substitute, apparently. <laughs> yeah, no. No. They were down to slim pickings, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so there's really
2: this, um, I guess, almost brinkmanship between janeway and the doctor in these scenes and actually throughout the episode because he starts out pretty strenuously objecting to her decisions not to rest and uh she uh refuses to take days to rest after she seriously burns her lungs and she's just like just give me an injection i'll be fine um, by this point where he's saying she has traumatic stress syndrome, he tries to relieve her of command and she refuses and basically threatens to delete his program or something. Um, which is definitely, I would say, one of the tensest interpersonal moments we get in this episode. Um, but, um, she
1: basically threatens
2: to kill him. Yeah, which is, yeah. like, it does kind of prove kill their his point, but then also her point is proven, like, that the. Sh- The ship cannot go on without her. Um, And uh, so she obviously defies him and continues to command.
0: Right. They're both coming from really good places. They mean well. I mean, the doctor Mm -hmm. is pointing out, hey, look, (laughs) the longer this has gone on, the more irrational your decisions have become, which makes perfect total sense. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've never been through a traumatic incident myself, so I've never experienced this firsthand, but I can just imagine being in constant fight or flight mode, uh, how that can screw with the body Mm -hmm. Uh, on top of everything else, the sleep deprivation that had to have come with it, the lack of food, you name it. And uh, yeah, so the doctor's coming from a very good place and making her step back just enough to help her see a little more of the picture because she's so uh, in such survival mode that she can't. Mm -hmm. and she just needs to keep things running bottom line and that is more than enough right now
2: yeah and she's also operating from a place of i guess determination in terms of she she feels like if they decide to stop if they stop taking a stand if they just keep hiding and um cowering that um you know, it's kind of, it's letting Anorax win and things will just continue to get worse and their position will only keep weakening. So she's determined that we're going to go rally allies to fight Anoraks. Um, we'll give them all our temporal shielding and then we'll go kick Zass. Um, so right. she, it is kind of strategic, even though the people question, you know, should we take more time and um, heal ourselves and try to heal the ship?
0: Yeah. There's just not time for that at that point. And, uh, I have to agree with her. I mean, make something happen. She's so determined. I love it. She refuses to let him win. It doesn't matter how bad bad has gotten. The only thing worse for her is either giving in or dying. Mm
1: -hmm. Again, picking the choice piece of crap
0: from a pile of crap. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yes. You have got to
2: love, though, the scenes about the watch in this episode. Um, (gasps) Yes. uh... I'm so
0: glad you brought this up. (sighs) All the feels. So many feels. It's, yeah. I mean, watching Janeway reject the watch is so heartbreaking. This Mm -hmm. this beautiful
1: gift and her just being like, I can't accept this wonderful, heartfelt gift and you know I can't.
0: I know. It's so heart-wrenching. I feel so bad for Chakotay. Mm -hmm. He's coming from such a good place, and, and Janeway knows how much, like, how well he means, and she really, you can tell she really appreciates it. Just, wow. That's amazing. Thank you. Wow. But I when it comes to survival this could this could be the pair of boots, this could be a meal, whatever she says. she's absolutely right as well in tough times. Oh, uh, ah, I get emotional just thinking about this scene,, yep. yeah, <sighs> I mean, I
2: don't totally get how that works because she's saying like we can't waste energy, and it would imply like to me thinking about it like wasn't the energy already wasted, but I don't want to get too nitpicky on that point um. I definitely I like it's a super powerful moment and she I mean she does say like I appreciate the gesture Um, but she's like she's pretty uh, you can tell like she's forcing herself almost like not to be too emotional at this point. She's just like she's she's yeah. pretty like kind of cold. Um, I'm not saying that in a bad way um, but just like I have to be detached about the situation and put people's life and death needs first.
0: Yeah. Oh, you are so absolutely right. Yeah, she cannot be partial whatsoever. Yeah. And I think it does come off as cold, but she is doing what's necessary. Yeah, absolutely. And by the time um, they
2: find the watch in Chicote's quarters where she's with Neelix, it's like, this is, you know, by this point, the most important thing is actually keeping ourselves from giving up. It's, it's keeping our spirits up. And when he, yes. like, says it's very handsome
0: and just... <laughs> it's so cute how he delivers that line. Yeah. It's it's so sweet. It's a very poignant moment. And, of course, with it being a watch and it's this being a time episode, you gotta enjoy the metaphor. Yeah, well, and
2: Chicote says it's, you know, the watch of... A replica of a watch of a captain who got his crew home. Um, old-timey ship captain, I guess. Um, so it's nice. Um... So let's talk a little bit about the ending of this episode. Um, So basically, uh, Janeway has decided we're going to make a final push. We're going to bring our our allies um, to the time ship. Um, Everyone else is going to go on the other ships that actually have a better chance of survival. And I'm going to stay on Voyager by myself. Um, And then as the battle progresses... Uh they get Chicote and Paris off the crenum ship, but uh you know their allies are being hit pretty hard. Um they do with the help of Paris and the mutineers on board, um, they're able to get a bit more of a hit in at the crenum Um but the episode ends We really don't see enough mutineers in deep space, do ya? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> that uh uh, she ends up, uh, the end of the episode is Janeway basically rams the time ship with Voyager and everything resets. So how Ooh. did you feel about the, uh, the ending, Grace?
1: God, it felt like a cop out to me. Like after all of this stuff we had seen the characters go through and this oh, some of the incredible bonding we saw happening and the development, just all the harshness they were put through. Just how it all
0: reset felt
2: cheap to me. What'd you think, Charlene?
0: I didn't see it as a cop-out. I figured with a time travel episode, the reset button is hot and ready. And even though, yes, it does erase all of the things that we saw, it it makes sense that it happens this way that I didn't really see uh, any other way out, to be quite honest. Like, I Mm -hmm. feel almost like the episode wrote itself into this corner and it's one of the few times where the reset button doesn't bother me just because they are screwing with time. So, okay. <laughs> also, <laughs> I do love that Janeway goes down with the ship and it does work. So it's okay in my book. Uh, I remember definitely the first
2: time I saw this as a kid being totally cheering at this moment where Janeway's just like, time's up and plows the That's right. Voyager.
1: It is an awesome.
2: Yeah, there's like, massive explosion and then everything's fine um and yeah it did kind of feel like that was the only way it could happen um it is kind of unfortunate that they forget these cool experiences they've had um and the the bonds that they formed with each other yes, all this
1: cool trauma they got
2: to experience well not so much that part but the the bonds <laughs> and the um like the the two box seven relationship and um i guess it's probably good that they forgot that Chakotay was like totally helping Anorax commit genocide, but, um,
0: yeah, yeah let's not kind of let's talk about that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, but yeah, I don't know what other options they had, and I definitely felt like it was a satisfying ending, uh, the first time I saw it, and it doesn't bother me now. Um, you know, and then we do get to see, um, Anorax back on. The colony at Keanu Prime with his wife. Um, and there's an implication that maybe this time it will be different that he's going to put down his calculations and spend time with his wife instead of killing her trying to make the timeline better.
0: We can only hope for that, right? I mean, this really is the best, happiest ending possible. One thing that we have not mentioned yet that we've got to mention is Janeway's hug with Tuvok. <gasps> yes! Yeah, I, I want to know from you guys, when she pulls him even closer into that hug, <laughs> I feel like Jane Wake really knows what's coming. Mm-hmm. I think she knows this is it. I'm sacrificing myself for the ship. Now, they write it as if that, like, okay, uh, now I know what I have to do here after the battle doesn't go so well. But I feel like she knows this is it. This is endgame. We're doing it. And this was her goodbye to him. It's, it's such an emotional thing, too, because poor blind Tuvok and uh, it, that just so much into that hug. Uh, but what did you think? Did you think that's how that was playing out?
1: Definitely. I think that okay. there's actually pretty early on a point where you see her just kind of committing to, okay, well, this is what's happening and this is I'm going to have to make a final choice at some point and it's, it's not going to come ideally
0: and I've got to make peace with that. Right. And I think just the shot of her taking a seat on the otherwise empty bridge only mm. emphasizes it. It's her and Voyager now. They're together. The two main bad bitches. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah, there is a really
2: nice um part, you know, where she's she's talking to Tuvok, I'm pretty sure about um about her attachment to Voyager and how um she feels she owes Voyager something. Um not yes. that it's not it's more than just a collection of hull plates and whatever else she says.
0: Yes, yes, I'm so glad you brought this up. Yeah. Yeah, cause Janeway's always had a little bit of a dialogue with Voyager, even from the very beginning, but it really shines through in this episode and she believes in Voyager. She knows it inside and out and she knows what it's capable of and she knows how much it has sacrificed itself to keep her crew alive. So yeah, she feels like she owes Voyager, definitely. It's as much of a member of the crew as anybody else.
2: Yeah, we see her talking to it, too, at other points in this episode. There's a part where she goes like, I feel like you're testing me, Voyager. Um, yes, yes. <laughs> and it, yeah, it kind of harkens back to uh, the way that Kirk had his relationship with the Enterprise and that he um, he did really see it as um, like he was in love with his ship. Um, and I think that that is really nice to see that relationship between Janeway and Voyager. Totally. Oh, yeah. And I was going to say, yeah, we have the um we posted a piece of fan art on our Facebook that has this the moment before she sits down in the chair and she's like she's wearing the pocket watch and looking at Chakotay's empty chair. And she's just like, OK, we got to do this. Um, That moment in the episode is I think by that point, she knows she's not coming out of this, um, you know, with all of her friends and her ship intact. Um Obviously, you know, she. Yeah, I she's mean, got to, right? at the very end, they're clearly, you know, they imply that Janeway knows a reset might happen because she asks them all to take off their temporal shields. So she's hoping, I guess, for a reset. Um I'm not totally sure how plausible that is, but I kind of don't even care. <laughs>
0: yeah they kind of try to write it as if that's a linear progression going on in her mind but Mm -hmm. i wonder if there was just a kernel of the plan that thought about that the whole time through like i really Mm want to fix all of this eradicate it all Mm -hmm. let's really forget about the year of hell Mm -hmm.
1: if there are any temporal scientists
0: out there listening to this we really would love your feedback (laughs) yeah for real (laughs) people who know a lot more than we do
2: awesome so um, we we did actually ask for listener feedback on a question um, which was about Brandon Braga but i think at least one of the other writers also wanted this story arc to last the entire fourth season or at least a long chunk of the fourth season
1: or yeah he really was gunning for this and apparently this is when he left the show was what he was saying the entirety of the
0: show should have been like should have been everyone running on fumes and just kind of desperate, which would have been a much darker show. But would've been really interesting to see. And that's why he went on to do Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> exactly. Because
1: for some reason he's really into that dark stuff. I
2: guess.
0: Yep, dark and gritty. That's the way of it, right? Dark
2: and gritty is Neelix's better than coffee substitute. There you go. Ugh. So uh, we're gonna read some of your feedback on that question about what do you think that do you think that would have been a good thing? It would have worked. It would have been terrible. Um, so Grace, can I ask you to read the comment from Jamie from Facebook?
1: Certainly. Jamie writes, "I suspect a season of Year of Hell would have been awesome, but can you imagine people's reactions at the end of that season when an entire year's worth of watching is wiped out by the final fix in the timeline?" Hey, just had a thought. Couldn't someone please wipe out the JJverse by saving
0: Kirk's father and thus restoring the timeline? get <laughs> the right on that. Yeah. <laughs> don't give him any ideas. <laughs> it'll take him how many tries to get it right and then he'll yeah. have something else wrong. Yeah. 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 But no, that thought has occurred to me. I don't know if it has to you guys, that just restoring the timeline and eliminating the alternate universe. I know there's plenty of people who would love that. <laughs> yes.
2: I mean, I guess uh, we just try to console ourselves with the fact that the the Prime Universe still exists.
0: That's right. And it does.
2: (laughs) Um, We also have a comment from Chris who said, I think the Equinox two-parter showed why a constantly stressed Voyager would have become less fun for the audience and unsustainable for the crew's survival. We can tell intuitively that it should really wipe them out completely and it can only be escaped through cheesy deus ex machina. Extreme violence and suffering, the gritty edgy stuff that got popular about 10 years ago, is not automatically more realistic. Often the complete opposite is more plausible. Starfleet trains its people to make sensible decisions about self-preservation, not to plow through madness and despair at all costs. Every other time that Voyager meets a serious threat, they quickly find the shortest route away from it and then travel around it. I struggle to imagine a whole series of it being as fun as the series we actually got.
0: Good point. Uh, I can't imagine a whole series of of gritty self preservation all the time. I think that would have gotten too heavy and really drug. Just it would have drugged out so f- so much that we would have gotten tired of it. Agreed. And
2: I mean, we definitely could have used more examples of characters bonding under pressure. Um, particularly some of the characters like Kim and Chakotay who don't get as much development in the series. Um, but I agree. And I also agree with the previous point that Jamie made that the reset would have felt awful if it had been an entire season. Um, Agreed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that,
1: that would have caused some angry males. So yeah. But I right, think, like- I think
2: what more they were thinking about was just this idea of, Voyager shouldn't return home in pristine condition.
0: Right, which I think is also a good and correct point. We should have seen little adaptations along the way. Things like alien technology, sort of like how they, you know, integrated Borg stuff, but do that with a lot of different cultures. You know, say Voyager gets dinged up in a battle and uh, they're using some alien technology to fix the whole, at least maybe even for a little while before they can Uh, get it fully repaired again or something like that.
2: Yeah. And, yeah, and it would have made sense for people, for some of the characters to be a little bit more frayed around the edges or to have changed. Um, Some of them did change over the course of the journey. Um, But, like, you know, Kim probably could have stood to develop a little bit more from where he started out. Um, Definitely. And, uh Um, you know, I'm not saying they should have made more episodes where he dies or almost dies. Um, but,
1: uh,
2: oh boy. Yeah. (laughs) Several.
0: (laughs) You know what, Grace, when I did a podcast called the Delta Quadrant, we were starting that tally because I was on there for the earlier episodes and I eventually left it. But they I don't know if they continued the tally or not. We had things like times he died, almost dies. and We had a whole list of things. And by season two, the numbers were already through the roof. They know what the people want. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> and we want Harry to die. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> Poor Harry. Poor Garrett. <laughs> yeah, for real. He's such a nice guy. Yeah,
2: for sure. Um, uh, do you want to read the comment we have from Michael? We kind of already touched on it, but I think it's a good point.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Michael says, it certainly would have added a sense of realism to Voyager's seven-year journey. I love the series, but one of my biggest gripes is that the ship made it to the end of the series in nearly the same pristine condition as when she left the Alpha Quadrant. Battlestar Galactica had the right idea in how to show a ship that was continuously battered and under fire in nearly every episode and didn't have the resources to repair anything. The Voyager crew was able to build new shuttles, keep the lights on, and repair the ship, but place the crew on replicator rations. It didn't make sense to me.
2: Yeah, I think that's a fair point, although I definitely would not have wanted to see them under fire in nearly every episode. I think that would have gotten kind of boring um, with Voyager. Um And yeah. in the Star Trek universe, we still needed to have that core of them as explorers. So being yes. so survival focused um for the last four seasons of the show might have interfered with the ability to... Still, you know, have that optimism and the uh, exploratory spirit.
0: Yeah. A couple things I thought of while reading that comment. One was that they started off with things like the replicator ration, xeroponics bay, things that showed us that they were conscious of having to survive long term on this vessel. And In the later seasons, they really seem to either be selective about it or dropped it all together. You know, you don't hear about replicator rations toward the end of the series at all. In season seven, there's not one mention of it. And so I feel like they did drop the ball on things like that, where they could have had uh, like a reminder of the struggle without it being in our face quite as much as constant fire. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. But also, this is Star Trek and Star Trek, at least in part, is a message of hope. And so if you were to completely go dark and gritty and wartime, firing on ships constantly, I'm sorry, but that's really missing a big component of Star Trek. Yeah. Star Trek, not M.A.S.H. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes, exactly. So if you want the violence, yeah, watch Battlestar Galactica. If you want that sort of thing, that's what that show is for. But that's that show. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I really enjoyed this two-parter and I think you know they
2: could have maybe made it a longer arc but longer than two parts they couldn't have gone with the reset at the end um they would have had to have at least a partial restoration of voyager and they definitely couldn't have lost the number of crew that they did and still been able to carry on successfully for four more years totally
0: yeah now i have a question for you grace if they would have maybe made this a five episode arc Would the reset button have really disappointed you that much more if they had gone that route?
1: Well, I think it's possible either way. Um, It definitely would have been more intense if it had gone on that long. But I also think five episodes would make it feel like a cop out. Because, like, really? Really? Five weeks of this? (laughs) I invested five weeks in getting emotionally invested in this. And now I get the reset button.
0: Yeah, I think yeah, honestly, so well. yeah, I think it actually, for that reason, works really good as a two-parter. Yeah, yeah. I also think,
2: like you said, Shar, the point about the parts with Chicote and Paris on the Krenim ship, that would have had to be longer because you couldn't deal with the tension and destruction on Voyager the entire time. So you would have had to also balance out extending right. that with extending those scenes on the Krenim ship. And if you can't empathize with Anorak's remotely, that could have been a problem.
0: Right, and I think that would have dragged it down a lot too, working that angle or that side of things a lot slower and a lot more detailed. Uh, Yeah, that might have not worked for a lot of people.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure what else they could have done to to draw out that storyline without it feeling either too intense and dark, or the fact that, or just like, too dragged out with the the scenes on the Krenim ship or scenes about them actually meeting with their new allies and things like that
0: right yeah agreed I like it as it is yeah yeah you know I think all in all it turned out really good and it turned out this way for a reason for once I do agree with the execs that this needed to just be a two-part or nothing more uh so I guess more power to them on that they got one right yeah, I really enjoy this episode.
2: Every dog has
1: their day. It's-
0: <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Just watching it uh, to refresh myself for recording here, it all over again, every little wave of emotion is still there. That's how powerful this is. I think it's a fan favorite for a reason. It's a very good, what might have been for Voyager, but it's incredibly well written and it's got a lot of action. It's fast paced. You have a lot of emotion and drama. Hey, what more do you want in one hour and 30 minutes?
2: Yeah, I am just amazed of how many great little scenes there are, um, how well everyone is written. Like, there's also that little scene where um, Paris is trying to attend to Bellana in the Sick Bay mess hall, and uh, the doctor starts yelling at him about triage, and then he starts accusing the doctor of letting his emotions get in the way because he's so angry and defensive. Um it Just, like, there's so many good... Scenes that uh, you know really show the characters to their fullest.
0: Yeah, we put them on edge and see what happens, and it it was refreshing. It was nice to see all that in play for sure. For sure. One thing that we do on Women at Warp when we review an episode is that at
2: the end of the episode, we all go around and we set phasers to something that is like our rating of the episode. So like you can. I got one. Okay, so <laughs> Grace, go first how about set phasers to broken watch oh is that is that good or
1: bad (laughs) i don't know just how broken is the watch
2: (laughs) um or i will i will set phasers to piece of hair in a glass time proof pyramid because i want this episode to be preserved (laughs) for all time well done (laughs) uh what about you charlotte
0: I think I'll set phasers to the Babylon 5 time ship Because whenever we see the visual of the Krenim ship It looks like Babylon 5 I'm sorry, but that's <laughs> Babylon 5 That is true
2: <laughs> Yes, well that would explain the sort of nipple makeup on the Krenim's head too
0: Right, right <laughs> Feels kind of Babylon 5-y Should have had their hair stick out like the Centauri <laughs> Yes
2: well, that would have been tough with Kurtwood Hare. Uh, Kurtwood. Smith. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> would have required a bit more work. <laughs> All right. Any final thoughts on Year of Hell? Go watch it. It's great. Indeed.
1: Year of Hell is a divine two hours.
2: <laughs> Exquisite. How does that? Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, uh, for joining us today to talk about the Year of Hell parts one and two, Star Trek Voyagers some two of their finest, almost hours of TV. But this is just one of the many topics being discussed on the Trek FM network recently. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit.
1: It would be a lot of fun to be able to MST3K an episode like (laughs) Arena, which who doesn't love poking fun at a rock throwing Gorn? I mean, come on, you know? Can you find a
2: rudimentary laser?
1: Ex- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I wrote that on the Babel Conference today because Guy Fliegman from Galaxy Quest is the greatest character ever.
2: Earl Grey. This
1: 547 meter long, 32 deck, 502 oh, 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 crew oh, oh. member. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. The Orb.
0: He requests you know, a an officer to serve with him yeah. on purpose, you know, he understands. You make this their own. We can't. He did it on purpose. I could see him like accidentally
2: requesting a Victorian officer. <laughs> oh man, I, I checked the wrong box on the form. Damn. <laughs> to the journey, Benjamin and Kira. They would never yeah. touch like that.
0: No, that just would be really unnatural and weird for them. But for Chang'e and Chakotay, it's very natural.
2: It's very comfortable. It's like slipping into a warm bath, and hopefully, Q's not in it commentary Trek stars
0: I just finished a book on audible that was recommended to me by some other people here on the network it's called uh, weapon of a Jedi
1: they steered you right Mike Mm, nope the 602 Club and it's literally like the first page after the introduction and it says hey here's the three factions the new republic they don't want to commit to a full-scale war With the uh, First Order, so they allow and back Princess Leia to create the Resistance. And I'm like, oh, okay. That makes total sense. Like, it took me one minute to read. Women at Warp.
0: She's the communications officer first. She can be Spock's girlfriend second.
2: So how do you think people would respond if you said, Describe who Carol Marcus is after seeing this movie?
0: Uh, she looks nice in her bra. Meta
2: Trex. I looked it up, and ornare is the Latin word for to adorn. That's fascinating. So I looked up brekka, and it turns out the same spelling, B-R-E-K-K-A, is Old Norse for slope or hillside. And that, listeners, is something you will only get right here on Metatrex. Better living through etymology. (laughs) And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. We also wanted to let you know about the Trek FM Patreon. Trek FM is a listener-supported network, and you can help us keep the Star Trek discussion coming by pledging a donation at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's patreo ncom trekfm. Every little bit helps keep Women at Warp and the other Trek FM podcasts up and running, so once you're done with the show, again, please consider hopping over to patreon.com slash trekfm. So, Charlene, where can people find you
0: elsewhere on the interwebs? Well, you can find me here on the Trek FM network with co-host Tristan Riddell on To The Journey. And that's your cue, guys. You go To The Journey. Okay. To The Journey. There you go. Tristan and I talk Voyager every single week. So if you enjoyed this podcast and you haven't listened to To The Journey yet, give us a try. And uh, on the interwebs you can most likely find me on the Twitter. I am OTheProfanity there and that's pretty much where I hang out these days. I don't do a whole lot of Facebook. Uh, I don't publicize my email or anything like that. You can go to my website, oh and see what sort of shenanigans I'm up to there, but Twitter's the place to be. Amazing. And Grace, how about you? Where can
2: people find you?
1: Well, Twitter is also a primary place for you to find me. I'm on Twitter at phone You can also read some of my other Star Trek-based shenanigans at, on the archives for all things track.
2: And I am Jara Hodge. You can find me at on Twitter at Jarrah Penguin, J-A-R-R-A-H-Penguin, and on Tumblr at trekkiefeminist.tumblr.com. And if you'd like to get in touch with our show, Women at Warp, and give us your listener feedback, if you want to hear a whole episode of us talking about the Seven of Nine Tuvok sitcom, uh, then you should email <laughs> us at crew at, women at warp.com or you can visit our Facebook page or our Twitter at Women at Warp. So... Thank you so much for tuning in and have a great week. Good luck.